0: Been a bit of a crazy week this week, hasn't it? Um, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever known a week quite um, like this one, if I'm honest. Not only with um, all of the kind of the campaigning and things that led up to the referendum and the way in which it kind of dominated the news. Um, but even since then, the way in, in which it's just completely taken over um, Facebook and social media and, and, and dominates everything. Um, you know, I say I don't think I've ever known a week quite like it, all the time when people have had such strong opinions um, on, on either side. And in, in the mix of it kind of before and, and, and since, one of the things that I, it seems to have been a, a constant undercurrent You know, going against everything that we've been already singing about and focusing on this morning, a constant undercurrent seems to be uncertainty and insecurity and fear. And when you look around at the media, it just simply heightens it, doesn't it? With everything that's being said. You know, whether that's feeling insecure about what the future holds, or whether that's feeling insecure about the way that people now see you because of how you voted. Or whether that's um, worry about the appointment of new leaders. Or the direction that those leaders might take us. Or simply worry about how the whole issue seems to have brought out the worst in so many people. You know, and in the midst of all of the insecurity, in the midst of all of the uncertainty, the question that I, I think I, I keep coming back to in my mind is what is it? What is it that we are going to put our hope in? What is it in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the insecurity, and everything that we're facing that we're going to cling to and we're going to hold on to? Do we put our hope in negotiating great new trade deals? Or in the appointment of new leaders? Or in the the fact that current leaders might follow through on their promises? Do we put our hope in the fact that we're now better off as an independent Britain? Or do we put our hope in petitions that are going around to say, well, let's hold another referendum and maybe we'll manage to stay in the EU? What is there that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, that we can put our hope in, in the midst of all of the uncertainty? I don't know how many of you um, used to read or like the old Peanuts comics, um, or maybe watch some of the cartoons that have been made of them. And when you think of Peanuts, I know the first two names that come to my mind are Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Um, But the next person that I think of after those two is Linus. And one of the repeating themes that you get in, in Peanuts is the fact that Linus loves his blanket. And he takes it everywhere with him. His blanket is his security. And he holds onto it and he clings to it no matter what. But the thing is that Snoopy wants his blanket too. And he's always there trying to steal it from him. Why don't we watch a scene from a feature length episode. We're not going to watch it all, that would take too long. But just a scene from an episode called Happiness is a Warm Blanket, Charlie Brown.
1: Look at all of you! Who among you doesn't have an insecurity? Who among you doesn't depend on someone or something to help you get through the day? Who among you can cast the first stone? How about you, Sally? You with your endless sweet baboos. Or you, Schroeder! You with your Beethoven, Beethoven, Beethoven! you, Lucy. Never leaving Schroeder alone. Obsessing over someone who doesn't care if he ever sees you again. What do you want? Do you want to see me unhappy? Do you want to see me insecure? Do you want to see me end up like Charlie Brown? Even your crazy dog, Charlie Brown. Supper time, supper time, supper time. Nothing but supper time, 24 hours a day. Are any of you secure?
0: It's uh, quite a statement Linus makes, isn't it? Who among you doesn't have an insecurity? Who among you doesn't hold on to someone or something to help you get through the day? You know, the reality is that regardless of anything that might have happened in this last week, in some way or another, there are things in all of our lives that we're insecure about, and we have to try to deal with. And the question then is, what is our security blanket? What is it that, like Linus, we hold on to and cling to that makes us feel safe? What is it that we put our hope in? Now, those of you who have been been coming regularly will know we're in the middle of a a series at the moment called By Royal Invitation. And and we're looking together at some of the invitations that God, the King of Kings, offers to us. And this morning, I want to look at an invitation that we, we find in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, where God invites us to come confidently to him and to cling to him, to hold fast to our faith, to put our hope in him. In the midst of all of the uncertainty... And in the midst of all of the insecurity, knowing that as we come to him, we will always find our help in our time of need.
1: This is what it says in
0: verses 14 to 16, Hebrews chapter 4. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's a great invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation in the midst of our uncertainties, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of everything that we face in life, to cling to Jesus. To hold fast to Jesus. To draw near to Jesus. Knowing that as we do, he has promised to give us everything that we need. One of the things is that this great invitation that's on offer, though, is made available to us on the basis that Jesus is our great high priest. And if that's the foundation of this whole promise, then to really understand what it is that's on offer, we need to understand what that means. And let's be honest, we don't have high priests around today, do we? The the whole idea is strange in our culture and in our society. And so this statement that Jesus is our our great high priest is not exactly having the same impact on us as it probably would have had on the the Jews in the first century when they read this letter. If we look ahead at the the next verses in in, uh, chapter 5, verses 1, we get a little bit of an idea as to what the role of a high priest is. He says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. So high priests come from among the people. They're just like everybody else. But they're appointed to represent the people to God. Essentially, a high priest acts as a go-between. And what we see in these kind of verses, in understanding then that, that sins, that the wrong things, that the mistakes that we make, the wrong things that people have done, create this barrier between people and God. And as a sign of this separation in the temple and in the tabernacle, there was a a heavy curtain which was put down to separate the people from what was known as the Holy of Holies, which symbolized God's presence with his people in Israel. And just once a year, the high priest was allowed to pass through this heavy curtain and enter into God's presence. And on that day he would make sacrifices to God. He would shed the blood of a bull for the wrong things which he had done, for the sins which he had done. And then he would shed the blood of a goat for, the, for all the wrong things that the whole nation has done. And he offered these sacrifices to God at the altar. And there in the Holy of Holies, this altar which was, which in this moment changed from being an altar of, of judgment a place which spoke of God's anger with his people for the things that they'd done. And instead it became what was known as the mercy seat. It was the place from which God's mercy and his grace was poured out on the people of Israel. The problem was that what the high priest did was always just temporary. It was never really effective. It didn't last and so he and all the people found themselves back in that same position again and again, time after time. So we see when we, we come to these verses that the role of the high priest is, is this go-between for God and the people of Israel. And it but really it was just a picture then of the true great high priest, of what it is that Jesus would do. You see, as, as we've read in these verses, Jesus, he didn't only enter through a curtain into the Holy of Holies into this picture of God's presence that they had in a room. He entered into the very throne room of God in heaven. And he comes to God in that place on our behalf. As our go-between. Not bringing to God the blood of animals, but having poured out his own blood that was shed on the cross. The whole reason that we have a hope that we can cling to in Jesus is because right now today, as we sit in this room, Jesus is representing us before God as our champion. Also, that no matter what we have done, no matter what we have failed to do, no matter the mistakes that we've made, God's mercy and God's grace may be poured out on us as we need it. Isn't that an amazing truth? You know, just to stop and to think that right now as you sit here, Jesus stands before the Father in the throne room of heaven, championing your cause, championing the needs that you have, championing the struggles that you're facing, Acting as your go-between. So that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've failed to do, no matter the mistakes that you've made, as you look to Jesus, you know that you will receive mercy and grace in every moment. Isn't that incredible? I don't know how you picture Jesus when you pray. I don't know if that's the idea that you have of, of what's going on and where Jesus is as you pray to him and you lift up things to him. And I think we, can, we can, as we go on in verse 15, we can find real hope in what we read there as to who it is that we're talking to and who it is that we have hope in. So says, For we do not have a high priest, as Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. I think one of the amazing things that you can take away from uh, these verses is that when you pray, when you talk to Jesus, you're not talking to someone who, who is up there in heaven thinking, what? How could you do that? Pull yourself together. We've been here before. Why are you back with it again? You're talking to a great high priest who is able to empathise with you in your weaknesses and in your struggles. Some of your Bibles um, sometimes it uses the word sympathise instead of the word empathise, but I think in our culture that word misses something in terms of what is really meant here. You know, to see because when we when we talk about how we sympathise with someone for what it is that they're going through, what it is that we're really saying is, I've never been in that situation but by goodness me, it sounds hard. I am so sorry for you. But when we empathize with someone, we're saying, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know exactly how that feels. And when we bring our struggles, when we bring the difficulties and our insecurities and our uncertainties and our fears to Jesus... We are bringing them to our Saviour who says, I know. I know. I know. I don't know just what's happening to you. I know how it feels. I've been there. Let me help you. came across a a great little story which I think sums this up well. I've no idea if it's true, but to be honest, it doesn't really matter. If you can picture a a junior school classroom full of children around eight or nine years old. Uh, And within this room, there's a nine-year-old boy sitting at his desk, um, just doing his work, minding his own business, when suddenly there is a puddle at his feet and the front of his trousers are wet. He thinks his heart is going to stop because he cannot possibly imagine how it's happened. It's never happened before. And he knows that when the boys in his class find out, he is never going to hear the end of it. He knows when the girls find out, they're never going to speak to him again. And so the boy puts his head down and he prays this prayer. Dear God, this is an emergency. I need help. In about five minutes time, I'm going to be dead meat. And he looks up from his prayer and the teacher spotted him. She's crossing the classroom. Her eyes say, I know what's happened. And as the teacher walks across the classroom, a girl called Susie is carrying a goldfish bowl and she comes across and she trips and she spills the goldfish bowl all over his lap. The boy, he pretends to be angry with her at what's happened, but inside he's just going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now instead of being ridiculed, suddenly this boy is, is treated sympathetically, is the object of sympathy as the teacher rushes out to get him a spare change of, of trousers, as the children pick up kind of uh, cloths and start to mop up the water that's on the floor. And all of the ridicule that he thought was going to be his was transferred to somebody else, to Susie. And at the end of the day, they're they're waiting for the bus and the boy walks over to Susie and he, he, he whispers to her, Susie, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And Susie whispers back, I wet myself once too. You see, Susie saw the boy's need and she empathized with it. She'd been there before. She knew what it was like. And so in that moment, she doesn't judge him. She doesn't ridicule him as he felt he deserved. But she is moved to help him in his time of need. You know, in Jesus, we have a a great high priest. We have a savior that we can turn to who does not judge us as we may feel that we deserve. But who empathizes with us. He's been there. He's experienced the weaknesses and the, the temptations and the struggles. And so he is moved to help us in our time of need. You might find it hard to believe that, that Jesus has really been there, that he can really understand, that he really knows what it's like. Now I wonder if you've ever spent a a night struggling to sleep. Because you've been worried about the events that are coming in the day ahead. You're worried about what you're going to face tomorrow. You know, for some of you, maybe it was a court case or a trip to the hospital or a difficult conversation you knew you were going to have. It could be a hundred different things. But I imagine that, that most of us have, or certainly will in the future, have one of those nights where we just cannot begin to sleep because of so much wrestling around inside us that we're worried about that's coming in the next day. Do you know Jesus had one of those nights too? He spent the night unable to to sleep, knowing that the next day he would be tried, he would be beaten, and he would be crucified. You know, for us, when we think about crucifixion, we've seen bits in films, and we, we try and imagine it the best that we can, but for Jesus, he'd seen it. He'd smelled it. He'd been there when it had happened. And he knew what it was going to be like. And that the next day it was going to happen to him. Jesus knows what it's like to go to bed dreading the events of the next day. How about this one? Jesus experienced the rejection and the betrayal of his closest friends. Of the people that he loved. You know, there'll be people here today who, for one reason or another, know what that's like. I know the pain of that. You might have faced the rejection of a friend or a loved one, and you know what it's like to feel like someone has, has taken a hook and stuck it in your heart and ripped it out. Maybe you feel like you're going to throw up because you just, you've just heard the news that someone that you so trusted and you shared your life with and you gave so much of yourself to has betrayed you and has turned away from you and rejected you. Maybe you don't even really know how to feel. You don't know how to pray because you're just so numb at the shock of it. And the encouragement that we find in these verses is that as we draw near to Jesus, we draw near to someone who's been there, who can empathize with us, who knows how it feels. Jesus watched as his closest friends ran away in front of him with him watching on. He listened as a, as a guy that he loved and he would poured his life into, said to a 14-year-old girl at a fire, or however old she was, I don't even know that guy. He stood there as the man that he'd spent the last three years with, sold him out, and then betrayed him to soldiers with a kiss. He felt that rejection. And so he understands what we are going through. And he can meet our greatest need. You know, and Jesus not only went through hard times like we do, but he experienced crushing temptation. You might think, how can Jesus really understand the temptations that I'm going through and empathize with the struggles that I face with that when he never sinned? When he never gave in? But the reality is that those who actually resist temptation know just how strong it is. The person who gives in to temptation after five minutes has no idea how strong the temptation will be in an hour. C.S. Lewis, um, the man who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia that I'm sure many of you have heard of, um, he once wrote, because Jesus is the only man who has never yielded to temptation, he is also the only man who knows to the full what temptations mean. You know some of you have faced temptation, and you have given into it over and over again, and you have tried, and you have prayed, and you have begged God, and you think He just doesn't listen. But you know, God says, "I know what you're going through. I know because my Son faced the most crushing temptation imaginable. I understand." Draw near to me. Receive my mercy so that you can be washed clean and given a new start. And receive my grace so that you're in the midst of, of the struggle, in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of your time of need, you are strengthened to stand firm and resist and to live the life that I'm calling you to. Now, the fact that, that Jesus represents us before the Father And he's able to empathize with us and be our champion. I think it's so incredible to begin to picture Jesus in this way right now. And if you really get this, if you really begin to to picture Jesus in this way when you pray and when you draw near to God and you approach him, I think it has a potential to radically change your whole relationship with God. To know that there is nothing that you've gone through that Jesus hasn't been through. There is no weakness or trial or temptation that you've experienced that Jesus hasn't experienced. And that in the presence of God, you have a great high priest who knows what it's like to be you and is acting as your go between, he's your champion before the Father. That's why we, we, the presence of God is no longer a place where we need, to, to, need it to be a place of terror or of fear or to come with worry as to how we'll be received or the judgment that we might face, but it becomes a place of welcome. That's why we can approach God confidently, knowing that we will find everything that we need. That's why when we face uncertainty about the future... That's why when we're feeling insecure in our relationships, it's why when we're struggling to make ends meet, and when everything seems to be going wrong, we have a hope that we can cling to. We can cling to Jesus as the one who loves us, the one who is able to empathize with us, the one who is seated in heaven with all power and all authority and is able to help us in our time of need the one who will never let us down. We can cling to Jesus knowing that as we come to him and we hold fast to him, we can know peace and we can know rest, even if the rest of the world is falling into turmoil. Now, I love the invitation that we read in, in verse 16. We're then invited to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because of this great high priest we have, because of who Jesus is, because of everything we've been talking about, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Isn't it amazing that because of the life that Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died, because he represents us and he champions us now in heaven, we can come to God without fear, without worry, but with confidence that we don't need to come to God as we so often do because we've, we feel like we've made a mess of things and we've made mistakes, and so we come to God treading on eggshells, egg eggshells, begging for his forgiveness, hoping everything's going to be okay, trying to kind of get ourselves back into that good place with him again. But actually we can come boldly. We can come confidently, knowing that we're never going to offend him We can come with all of our emotions, all of our pain, all of our honesty, all of the mistakes that we've made. Knowing that we're not going to find a God who looks down on us because of the struggles that we have and the mistakes that we've made. But knowing that we can come to God. Not as a a God that stands aloof and distant and apart, but as a God who loves us and cares for us who wants to be intimately involved in our lives, as a God who who empathizes with us, who understands what we're going through. A God who wants to brush away every barrier to relationship with us. A God who promises that as we draw near to him with confidence, he will pour out mercy and grace into our lives. He will give us everything that we need. We're going to come to a time of communion in, in a moment, but before I do, I just feel I want us to, to focus and to realize that this isn't something, something that you just become to know and then you just kind of tick it off. This is something which is relevant to each and every one of us. Now, every single one of us here needs help. We have needs, we have weaknesses, we have confusion and things when we don't understand, we have insecurity and uncertainty and fears and worries, we need help. But every one of us here also has something else. We have sins. We carry with us the mistakes that we've made and the wrong things that we've done. And therefore, at the bottom of our hearts, it can so easily become that place where we feel that we know that we don't deserve the help that we need, and so we end up feeling trapped. We know that we need help to to live our our life and to cope with the situations around us. We know that we need help to, to handle the idea of death and eternity. We know that we need help with our families and with our children. We know we need help with our loneliness and our jobs and our health and our finances. We know we need help. But we also know we don't deserve the help that we need. And so we can feel trapped. And what do we do? We can try and and deny it all and ignore it all and try and be Superman and do everything on our own and meet our own needs. Or we can try and drown it all out and surround ourselves with distractions and entertainment and things that make us forget for a moment and feel happy for a moment. Or we can sometimes just give up and give in to despair. But God's great invitation to you this morning in the midst of all of your needs in the midst of all of your fears and uncertainties and worries and insecurities, is to come to him and to cling to Jesus. To hold on to your hope in him. He wants you to know that Jesus became your great high priest in order to shatter despair in your life and to fill you with hope. To meet you where you're at. To rescue you. To pour out on you mercy and grace in your time of need. Mercy to forgive and to wash you clean and to give you a fresh start. Mercy to have compassion and to meet you exactly where you're at. And grace to empower you and strengthen you and enable you for what lies ahead. You need to know that you are not trapped in the temptation that you have been struggling with. You are not trapped in a place of despair and hopelessness. Yes, you need help. Yes, you don't deserve the help you need. But you can still have it. God's great invitation to you today and in every day is to cling to Jesus, to come to him with confidence and receive everything that you need in this moment and every moment as you put your trust in him. It might be today that you have never placed your trust in Jesus before, and if that is something that you would like to do, then I want to encourage you as a way of of making that statement of saying, I'm putting my trust in Jesus today. I want to cling to him and put my hope in him then I want to invite you as your way of saying that to come and to take communion in a few moments and to, to join us in that. And then after the service, I'd love to you to, to come and, and have a chat to me so I can, I can give you one of these books called Why Jesus? And you can find out something more of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for you. It might be that you're not quite ready to make that decision. You're still a little bit uncertain about things, but you want to find out more. And again, please come and have a chat to me and I'd love to give you um, one of these books. but as we come to communion, I I feel so aware that this is something which many of us might be familiar with as an idea and as a concept. But the, the reality of the worries and the fears that we carry with us in life say that it needs to sink from our head to our hearts. For us to really put our trust in Jesus today, for us to come to the throne of grace with confidence today knowing that God is faithful to his promise, that we will receive mercy and we will receive grace in our time of need. That there is nothing that you need to hold back from God today. There is nothing that you need to be fearful or worried about as you come to him. He understands, he's been there, he knows. And he is reaching out to you today. Wanting to wash you clean and give you a fresh start and wanting to empower you to live the life that he has for you.